I referred to somebody that today was Vision Sunday and they asked if we were gonna have eye doctors here for screenings. <laughs> Not exactly. Um, you know, um, it's often when uh, pastors talk about uh, vision, uh, they're talking about a long range plan with uh, particular specific goals. Uh, often refers to um, a building uh, or a new staff position uh, or an extra service. Uh, they often will quote from Proverbs, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, but what's funny is that's a poor uh, biblical use of that proverb. Um, the proverb, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish, um, it's almost as if they let the youngest uh, seminary student translate it from the Hebrew. Uh, when you go back and do a word study, especially on the word vision, right, it doesn't correlate with the long-range, goal-based uh, projection cast by the pastor, um, you know, that, uh, that, that's just not, uh, doesn't have any grounding in Hebrew. But when you do the Hebrew word study, what you find is that vision is often referred to as revelation. And revelation often only happens um, in the mouth of the prophet. And so when Isaiah or Amos, uh, when they um, speak the revelation of God, they often begin with these words, thus says the Lord, right? And, and so um, the vision is less about my personal plan for success, but rather it's about us paying attention to the revelation of God, the word of God, scripture, what God has already said about who we should be and where we should go. Now, the other word that I have a problem with is perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That sure sounds like die, right? And it's convenient for pastors who cast vision using Proverbs, because if you don't do the long-range plan that I'm suggesting, what will happen to you? We will all die, right? Perish. When you do the Hebrew word study, you find that perish, uh, really, it's better translated released or let loose or no longer guided. Uh, one of the uses of the Hebrew word behind perish um, is that when, a, a, when an Israelite mourns, he takes off his head covering. Uh, uncovering is the same Hebrew word as perish. Seems strange, right? It doesn't logically line up that where there is no vision, people will take off their hats, right? That, that doesn't make sense. But when we realize when we don't focus on the word of God, we are released, uncovered, exposed to whatever might happen. Is that fair? Um, so when talking about vision, um, I, I want to be clear, um, it's probably more of an objective. Uh, it's probably more of a, of a direction, a strategy, right? I don't want to say, thus saith the Lord, uh, we should start small groups. Um, instead, um, let's together read scripture and to see what God has already said and what we are being called to do together. 
Our scripture passage today comes from Hebrews. Um, the, the, the whole book of Hebrews is beautiful. If you uh, wanted to read it uh, this afternoon, it would be easy to do. You, um, especially with no uh, playoff issues coming up, you, you've got some reading time. So, um, you know, feel free to read Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is a great argument about the work of the priest, right? Um, the author of Hebrews describes uh, the temple environment and where there is an altar, where sacrifices are given, where there are candles, the word of God. Um, but the one thing that the Hebrews author does not describe in the temple, where we, uh, he's uh, describing atonement, how uh, the Israelites would be forgiven for their sins uh, prior to Jesus's arrival, uh, they would be forgiven because the priest would um, sacrifice animals on the altar, uh, burn those sacrifices, and the uh, scripture says that the um, smell of the burnt offerings was pleasing to God. I try hard not to let people say that God likes barbecue. That's not exactly where that scripture's going. Um, but uh, so how does the priest do that? Well, the priest does it by sacrificing, by lighting candles, by reading scripture. But the one piece of furniture that Hebrews describes is not present in the temple environment is a chair. Because you see the, the human priest, the, the priest of the Old Testament, the priest of the temple, their work is never done. Uh, the, their work of atoning for the sins of the people it's never effective enough, and it's never done. And so that uh, common uh, uh, priest at the temple cannot get all the work done. So there's no re reason to have a seat. But when the author of Hebrews begins talking about our great high priest, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the savior of all, he describes the temple environment and that there is one thing new now that Jesus is our high priest, there's a chair. And not just any old footstool or chair, but there is a seat next to the throne, on the right hand of God, next to the throne, that Jesus is both son of God and our high priest. And one and done, atonement is made for all. And that Jesus sits in that seat. Now, our passage, where we get our passage from, talks about how to, what, what do you do after you believe? What do you do after you've, um, uh, Jesus has atoned for your sins? What, what do you do after you've walked down the aisle, taken the picture, shaken everyone's hand, and joined the church? What's next? And so the author of Hebrews says that some of the things you should do to take advantage of the atonement of God he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there's kind of four things there. There's believe God because he makes good on his promises. And then there's the um, uh, consider how we can provoke one another to love and good deeds. Some other churches I've served have, they've gotten the first part of that, but not really the second, right? Oh, they're really good at provoking one another, but we need to provoke one another to love and good deeds, right? Y'all do that well. And then the third one is not 
neglecting to meet together. I gotta say, just you know, a little side note here, personal privilege. It's good to know that people have not been attending church as often all the way back to Paul's day, right? Early church folk had thought, hey, you know, who's, who's playing in the Colosseum? Maybe I won't go today, right? The, the author of Hebrews sees it fit to say, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Not neglecting meeting together. It seems kind of strange on Vision Sunday to address the issue of attendance. Um, we talked about state of the church during the adult gathering, and um, you know there are uh, great numbers for giving. We know how to put dollars in the plate, uh, but heinies in the pews, um, they, they were, were, were doing this way, right? So what is it about not neglecting meeting together? It, it, it's interesting, Frederick Beekner, a wonderful Presbyterian uh, pastor and scholar, uh, wrote uh, in The Sacred Journey, you can survive on your own, you can grow strong on your own, you can prevail on your own, but you cannot become human on your own. What does it mean to not neglect meeting together? There's an old uh, preacher's illustration that I'm sure half of you have heard and probably have heard it told better than I'll tell it. Um, but it goes this way that up in the north there was a pastor, uh, it was during winter, uh, he was um, uh, following up on folk who weren't attending church very often. And so he had um, called ahead and knocked at the door and was going to go see this older couple who had not attended actually since the first Sunday that he had been there. That takes, you know, wow, right? Let's see, you've not attended since I showed up. Chances are what you don't like is me. But now I got to go and make amends, right? The church says, go get them back. And so he goes. And as they sit in the den, there's a, a, a raging fire in the fireplace. Uh, it, it's um, you know, frozen snow outside. Uh, and inside, uh, the fire is burning. And they sit there for about five or ten minutes, just silent. And after about 10 minutes, the pastor gets up and he, he goes to the fireplace and he pulls back the curtain and he gets the tongs and he takes a, a coal. It was a, a beautifully well, um, you know, kind of mature fire with hot coals uh, that were still glowing, beautiful heat, white hot heat. And he pulls with the tongs one big coal out and sets it to the side of the wall of the fireplace and then goes back and sits down. And 10 or 15 minutes go by and there's just silence, just silence. And he gets up and he looks over and that, that white hot coal has gone to uh, an orange and then to a deep red and then finally it's gray. And he picks it up with the tongs and he sets it on top of the heap of coals right in the middle. And he goes back and sits down. 10 or 15 minutes later, you can look at that coal and it's gone from a dull red to a bright orange to a white hot. And he gathers his hat and his coat, and he says, I do hope that we'll see you on Sunday morning. You see, the, the meeting together isn't about um, bolstering the attendance scores of the pastor. It's not about um, bragging to other churches that we're bigger or better, because bigger and better isn't really a scriptural um, uh, idea of success. 
really what it comes down to. And even with biblical literacy being so low, I bet most of us in the room know when two or more are gathered together, who, who's with us? Jesus. So not neglecting meeting together is giving ourselves a chance not to hear a good sermon or to listen to good music, though the music's really good here, but it's about being around other coals, catching the heat and fire for something beyond ourselves, and then going out and being the hands and feet of Jesus to a world that's wounded and needs Jesus. So it's Vision Sunday. Uh, you know, last year we um, talked about um, uh, what is our next step, right? You hear me say often, uh, you know, Chapelwood exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. What's the next step? Well, we really do think that by looking at the world around us and the community that we live in, that the next step for a congregation that is um, average United Methodist age between 55 and 60, and some of you are overachievers, and so, you know, um, that our average age is moving in that direction, that, that really what God's calling us to do is to raise a generation in faith. Now, raise a generation of faith doesn't mean build a building or add a staff position or, you know, double the endowment, though those things are wonderful and could be helpful in some ways. Really what it comes down to, when we ask uh, how to form children as adult disciples, we find that there's been research done on the topic. And when we read about the research, we find um, that for one thing, it's the the thing that convinces or correlates, and correlation is not causation, um, with kids becoming vital adult uh, disciples is being surrounded by adults who have vital faith. In fact, if you're concerned about your child or your grandchild's faith, the faith, most likely, the faith that you have right now is the faith that they'll have when they're your age. It's the same idea I've been talking about often. I get up at five in the morning, I do my prayer and my Bible study. Um, at six, uh, Grace gets up, I scramble an egg for her for breakfast and off she goes to school. When I die at 70 or 80, uh, Grace will stand up and say, my dad built his life on a scrambled egg. Because she never saw the behaviors that really undergirded my life. And so uh, we've uh, looked at the research and there's four basic traits that if the adults in a high schooler's life do in an authentic, transparent way, that it correlates with that kid becoming an adult disciple. The four basic traits are having a call beyond yourself. The second one is uh, being fluent uh, in the faith, especially the hope that we find in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the third one is being a high expectations community, that when somebody goes missing, we go looking for them instead of saying, oh, well, that's their private uh, business, we're not going to uh, bug them. And then lastly is being the kind of church or the kind of people that spot God active in the world and are willing to tell somebody about it. If you're old school, it could be be willing to testify to the good work that God does in you. So last year we spent uh, 12 months uh, doing those things. Uh, every sermon series we did was tied to a trait. Um, you'll remember the Lent uh, series that we did last year where we talked about uh, um, orphans no more and adoption and uh, it was a beautiful time. We, we pushed uh, Zoe Ministries, the orphan ministry in Africa with no expectations put on you. We raised more than $4,000 and committed to a three-year commitment uh, for, uh, with 50 orphans in Kenya. High expectations 
That's caring for people beyond yourself. That's a beautiful thing. Um, we've uh, continued to do other things that kind of embody those four traits, but now it's time to kind of move on. Instead of just building the blocks of faith, what if we formed disciples through relationships? I don't know about you, but there is nothing good that's happened in my life that hasn't happened because of a small group. Um, I survived college um, and heard my call to ministry because I got into a small group with a bunch of other freshmen, and for four years, we met together for Bible study and prayer. Sometimes we just drank coffee and griped, but oftentimes we cared for each other. Um, I went to a walk to Emmaus. It was part of a reunion group for most of my ministry. Um, I, I um, am not blameless, not perfect. I am not the saint. Please don't go uh, thinking that. But if I'm in a group, I'm better than what I'm not. When we went to uh, realize that Amy was pregnant and going to have grace, we went to the birth class at Methodist Hospital with other new, you know, to be moms and dads. I mean, think about it. When, when I started exercising, I did Couch to 5K with uh, other people. Anything good that's happened in my life has happened because of a small group. It's because I, we all know what to do, but knowing it and doing it are two different things. And if I have a small group that's going to say, hey, Peter, you read the Bible lately? All right, guess I'm going to have to do it today, right? We call it accountability out in the business world, but inside the church we call it covenantal love. That when we bind ourselves together with others, we get formed as disciples through relationships. And so um, we've got an idea about a small group definition. It doesn't say when you meet, it doesn't say how you meet, it doesn't say how many have to be there. It literally just says, hey, there's a set of relationships and these four things might happen. That um, you find uh, people who you will trust enough, this is high expectations, that you'll trust enough that you'll call them at two in the morning when life has really gone upside down and you know that they'll take you to the foot of Jesus or to the ER, whichever works, right? Um, that you'll be part of a set of relationships that um, helps you learn the faith so that when life becomes a challenge, you'll meet it with uh, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. That's that Wesleyan quadrilateral. That you'll be part of a set of relationships that will help you discern your gift, recognize your call, and make a difference in your world because of Jesus Christ. That's the calling beyond yourself. That you'll be part of a set of relationships um, that when God shows up, we will name it, we will claim it, and we will tell somebody about it. This is kind of that heart of what it might mean to be a small group. Now, um, some of you are thinking you're going to make our Sunday school class not do anything we like to do and just do this. No, I, you know, but um, there is nothing really good that comes from, um, you know, show me your papers, right? I mean, it just doesn't work very well. And so everybody will do what they've always been doing, but we'll invite all the existing groups to uh, engage the definition and decide what they want to do with it. If it's nothing, great. It's not a big deal. Um, we'll also ask uh, individuals two questions. Are these needs important to you? Right? So maybe uh, calling beyond ourselves. Yes, very important. Uh, having somebody to call at two in the morning. Pff, yeah, not so interested. Right? Because everybody's different. And then we'll, the second question is to ask, where do you get those needs met? doesn't matter if it's in Chapelwood, outside of Chapelwood. It could be online. It could be in person. It could be IHOP. It's great. We just want to know, where do those needs get met? 
for you. And then we'll take that data together and we'll figure out where are the holes, right? Uh, people um, are uh, highly interested in these things, but there's no place for them to do it. And then we'll just work together uh, in an intentional way, not neglecting, neglecting meeting together as some have become in the habit of doing so that together we can encourage each other to love, to do good deeds, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I, I can't express how important it has been to have a relationship with someone else. Uh, Beekner says it really well, you can grow, you can prevail, you can become strong, but if you wanna be human, you have to do it with someone else. You have to be in a relationship. I think it's very interesting uh, that God in three persons, blessed Trinity, is a small group. You know, maybe community is so important that God structures God's self that way to make a difference. So I hope that you'll come along on the journey with us uh, just to kind of see uh, about yourself and about others. Um, I believe that organizations don't change because someone at the top said change, but rather organizations change because the individuals that make it up see a new path and decide together to go in that path. So I look forward to what God will do among us and in us uh, as we seek to form disciples through relationships in the next 12 to 18 months. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Uh, along those next steps that we talk about, uh, one of them might be, uh, I'll post a video this week about uh, the state of the church and about the uh, particulars about uh, building relationships, uh, building faith through relationships. Uh, I hope that you'll begin thinking about that. Um, our next sermon series starts on January the 17th. Uh, Kate uh, will be preaching. Um, what a wonderful time. Um, it, it's uh, about being wrung out and washed out, uh, kind of a feeling uh, that we have uh, maybe been through the ringer, and that's ringer with a W, not with an R. I've been educated. Um, uh, you know, what is it like to begin thinking about uh, being at the end of your uh, rope, uh, but knowing that God is there for you? It's a great time to invite people. I hope that you'll um, invite somebody special to you to come and experience church here. Um, what a wonderful gift that would be. If today's the day that you would uh, like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or to join this church uh, as a uh, part of this church family, I'd love for you to come down uh, during the closing hymn, which is Take My Life and Let It Be. David Hill's going to come and lead us. Ken Sleese is here as our Stephen Ministry representative. If you'd like someone to pray with you uh, or for you or for someone uh, you love, Ken's ready to do that or to arrange care for you or for someone you love through Stephen Ministry. Uh, it's a wonderful ministry of the church uh, and Ken can direct you uh, how to get the best out of it. But for now, let's uh, grab a hand next to you for a closing benediction. Let's have a word of prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks that you created us and wired us to belong. So Lord, gather us together. Help us to, to not neglect meeting together so that we might inspire each other to hope, to good deeds, and to becoming your body so that we might be the hands and feet that care for the wounds of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.